This episode of Actors with Issues is brought to you by Audible. For a free 30-day trial and a free audiobook, visit audibletrial.com actors. Welcome back to Actors with Issues. I'm your host, Juan Ayala. This week's guest is actor, writer, and producer Noam Ash, the creator of hit web series My Gay Roommate, Boyfriends, and the upcoming series The Influencers. Boyfriends actually just premiered its half-hour pilot a few weeks ago on YouTube, and it already has over 175,000 views. The show stars Noam as quirky and adorable college student Nick, as well as TV and Broadway vet Jay Armstrong Johnson as his roommate Max. In today's conversation, Noam chats with us about the creative process behind his new series, his past audition experiences, including an impromptu self-tape that booked him a role on an Amazon series, and the importance of storytelling and how to best serve the story that you want to tell. Now, please enjoy this conversation with Noam Ash. So is there anything that in terms of like what maybe the audition process was like or what it was like um, in a show or on set that you hope changes taking all of this into consideration in terms of like new procedures and things like that. Like one of the biggest ones that um, a few theater actors told me, they're like, I hope there's no longer like 60 dancers crammed into the callback room uh, Mm, and stuff mm -hmm. like that, you know? There was always just way too many people everywhere at, at theater auditions, especially. Yeah. Um, well, specifically for for boyfriends, the audition process mm-hmm. for me was amazing because I wrote it and yeah. produced it. So um, it was really easy. I got the part. Yeah. It was awesome. <laughs> so uh, I hope that part doesn't change. That I'm yeah. able to keep making my own work and do that sort of stuff. In general, um, I don't know. Uh, I it's been a long time since I've done, you know, any of those like big, big theater calls. So Mm. usually with TV, um, I do like going in in person because you get to, um, you know, meet the casting directors and and get feedback. And I actually really enjoy that process. Mm. Um, But that said, it's nice that video auditions are not seen as necessarily only a second best option now yeah. that they're part of the the routine because it allows you to you know submit yourself um for stuff that might be shooting on a different coast or in a different mm-hmm. city uh and it's not as big of a disadvantage as it may have been before right. so yeah i think i think that's great and um i like self-taping too my preference is always to go in and meet casting in person because i just feel there's there's a certain magic that happens mm. face-to-face that happens in the room. Um, but it's also good that we have opportunities to submit ourselves for more things now. Yeah, for sure. With, um, you know, in, the- in New York specifically, I feel like we were always a little bit behind the times in terms of self-taping and whatnot, because in other markets like um, Atlanta, especially, um, I have a few friends mm. down there there's so much going on and it's not like New York where it's like, Oh, all of the studios are in Greenpoint and at the Navy yards and whatnot. But with, um, in Atlanta, because it's still a growing industry there, things Mm -hmm. are so spread out. Casting offices are all over the place. So they've always been self tapes. Um, interesting, you know, they don't really do in person. Um, at least the pre-read auditions are never in person. It's usually like the callbacks and the chemistry tests and whatnot. Yeah. And also, have you had any auditions that were like basically like this? Because I've had a couple that were like on Zoom and stuff like that, which is like a nice medium between being in the room and getting the note and still being. Oh, interesting. No, I, no, I haven't had that. Um, But, you know, I I did, um, I had a a role on an Amazon show, Absentia, Mm. um, which actually just came out a couple of, months ago Mm. um but we shot it last year in bulgaria and with that role i never met casting at all it was all on tape yeah it was actually a pretty funny story i got the appointment to film for it while i was in the car on the way to my uh friend's wedding okay (laughs) and my manager called me she's like they want to see a tape of you for absentia and i was like i'm in portland i don't have any access to any equipment or like let alone equipment just a quiet spot to do it yeah no lights nothing no blank wall she's like well 
do what you can. And we literally, we had this rental car. We pulled off on the side of the highway and I filmed that audition against the blank wall of some random warehouse <laughs> off some highway in Oregon. Yeah. Um, Naturally. Like, <laughs> oh my God. I mean, I was like, you can hear cars in the background. Like it's loud. You know, I, I sent it to my manager. I was like, I'm so sorry. I was like, this is what it is. She was like, okay, well, you know, I told them that you're away and they still wanted to see it. So hopefully they're forgiving for the production mm -hmm. quality. And they were, I booked it. So that was really cool. Uh, but it was one of those tapes that I was like, oh God, this is so <laughs> unprofessional. Yeah. It's funny because, you know, we uh, are told so much time, you need three-point lighting, you need the chroma blue background, you need all of these things. And then you still manage to book it off of like a spur of the moment tape. Uh, and it's just funny that things like that happen because it's like, yeah. you know, we're doing everything I mean, by the book, everyone's doing the same thing. And then there's a couple yeah. cases where that's not what happens. Personally, I'm not obsessed with production quality when it comes to audition tapes. And also mm -hmm. when I was casting my pilot, we received plenty of tapes. I mean, yes, you want good lighting, you know, you want the footage to look good, you want to have a somewhat neutral background. Mm. But, you know, I have friends who've spent like hundreds of dollars on like top-notch lights and then they bought like a specific camera. I'm like, the iPhone takes such high quality videos. <laughs> it's yeah, it's totally, like, I don't think, I'm not a casting director, but I don't think that casting directors are judging our production quality. They're right. judging your acting and yeah. if you're good for the part. Right. Because, you know, it's, um, and like you were saying before with your tape, it was, um, you know, there's like background noise and whatnot and Ooh, naturally. There was upset. no tripod. Like my friend was holding it. Like the video shaky was cam. shaky. Oh my God, <laughs> it was so jank. I would not recommend submitting those kinds of auditions on the regular. Right. But, uh, you know, it was, this is what we got. So right. this is what we're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because uh, I've always had, you know, I, I am a frequent reader for friends on self tapes. Um, there's a mm. couple of different apps where you can be like someone's like virtual reader. So I'll usually yeah. do that because like I have a friend that's in South Carolina uh, that, you know, has his uh, fair share of, of auditions. And he always asks like, okay, so like there was a background noise that I heard in that take. And I'm like, that was your best take. Submit your best take. Don't worry about Absolutely. all of the bells and whistles. Submit your best take, not the one that was technically good with a subpar performance. They want to see your best take, you know? Absolutely. Could not yeah. agree more. Um, so we mentioned um, boyfriends. Uh, yeah. So is this um, like a pilot presentation that you did or did mm -hmm. you guys actually film like a whole season? No, so it's a pilot uh, mm. that is a 30-minute version of my web series, My Gay Roommate. So it's based on the same concept. Mm. It's two roommates. One is gay, one is straight, and they're best friends, and they kind of, you know, wingman each other through college. Yeah. Uh, and it's a buddy comedy. It's super fun. It's charming, I think. And, uh, yeah, so this is a half-hour pilot that uh, I produced through my production company, Wellversed mm -hmm. Entertainment, uh, in conjunction with Keshet Studios and Ish Entertainment. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we created the half hour version and now it's out on YouTube. It's doing incredibly well. I the trailer it. alone in, you know, I think it's just about three and a half weeks is approaching 400,000 streams. So mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's been really exciting. The response has been incredible. We're super happy with it. Uh, and that people want it and are hungry for more. So mm. we'll see what we can make, what we can make happen. Yeah. It's, you know, it's always very tricky. Like I've done, I've been in my fair share of independent pilots and um, it's always tricky because it's always this like labor of love. And like you said, um, so your web series, Maggie Roommate was already a success um, before that. And so what is it that inspired you to want to sort of like, um, rework it or revamp it in a way and make like a like a sort of you know proper pilot yeah uh, that's a good question it's a so a full half hour pilot is a very different thing mm. than a short form web series there are different forms of storytelling um and over the past couple of years i've written a few pilots i've sold a few pilots films etc i've developed and grown as a writer and as a writer my goal is 
you know, I want to be writing and continue writing half hour comedies and feature films. And so it was really an opportunity to prove myself in that format. Um, the storytelling is a lot more nuanced. It's a lot more complex. Uh, the short form was super fun and I loved it, but there's a lot of story sh storytelling shortcuts that you can take and are acceptable within short form, right? Namely the confessionals, right? So in the web series, we would convey a lot of information through the confessionals, which would allow us to jump forward in the story and, you know, cover more ground that way. Um, in a single camera comedy, uh, that's generally not the case, right? So it's a completely different kind of writing. Mm. Uh, and so I wanted to do that. And I also, um, it was important for me to show that the core of the show translated regardless of format, right? So the mm. whole concept of portraying a world in which being gay is not an issue and where these two roommates are best friends and they have plenty of issues. There's plenty of conflict, but just not around problems with homophobia, right? Okay. So it was important for me to show that that sort of core of the show mm. um, translated across formats. Gotcha. And I think that that's, I mean, hats off to you because I watched the pilot and I absolutely loved it. I, it's oh, one of those things is like, give us more. Give. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a um, lot of people. Yeah, you guys are, that, which is, I mean, you hit over 130 from when I saw it was yeah. just over 130. In like, Last how long has a pilot been? How long has uh, it been up just now? over a week. That's incredible. Just over a week. That's, yeah, you know, some people are struggling yeah. to get 50 views on their two-minute <laughs> short. So it's like, you know. Um, but yeah, fortunate. I think you, you have such a great ability, not just to, you know, perform your text but like the writing is just like quick it's like you know some shows even like on network television i'm like they put how many millions of dollars into this and the writing is like meh like it it just felt so quick and like smart and real in a way it's like oh this is exactly how people talk because you know sometimes you watch shows about real people about normal people and the you sometimes we're watching it especially when it comes to queer stories, we're like, we don't talk like that or not everyone talks like that, you know? And this just felt so natural and authentic. And I absolutely love that about the show. I, re I really appreciate you saying that. Thank you. Um, I think a few things come to mind from, from what you were saying. Mm -hmm. And the first is, yeah, you know, it's very organically written. Um, it's my voice. Right. Mm -hmm. So I kind of literally, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of write in a way that um, I speak. Mm -hmm. um, that said, I do think there's an interesting phenomenon about, you know, people like, you know, we don't all talk like that. During the web series, there were a few people I remember that commented on some videos that were saying, oh, this is not representative of all gay people. Um, but I think the reason that the show has managed to circumvent that sort of trap is that because we're not dealing with the characters as like, this is the gay character and this is the straight character, mm -hmm. right? They're being judged as individuals. So just because Nick is gay in the show does not mean that he aims to represent how all young gay men are. That's just right. who he is. Right. Um, and... I think that's also an evolving thing, right? You know, as actors, a lot of times, um, especially when I was just coming out of, out of college, you know, people were saying, oh, you don't want to be pigeonholed as the gay actor, right? right? Because then you only play gay roles. And I think that the understanding around that has evolved a lot, right? Because we used to think that it meant just one type of character, right. but I could play a hundred different kind of roles in a hundred different films and they could all be gay and they would all be different from each other. Right. Right. Because we're individuals, we're people. Right. Like you would never say to someone, Oh, you don't want to be pigeonholed as the heterosexual guy in the right. film. <laughs> right. Like you, you don't want to be pigeonholed as the male love interest. Right. Like you don't want to do that. The boy right. Next door, so, all that stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So I think the understanding around that has evolved a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's and, just interesting because it's it's also a conversation that sort of conversation and like thought process like oh don't you don't want to you know pigeonhole or typecast yourself 
it's mm-hmm. done with so many things like i've gotten it for like you don't want to be like cast as like the nerd and i'm like because i wear glasses i'm not particularly smart i don't consider myself a nerd so it's more like what image you're putting on to that word of mm. nerd or gay or jock it's like yeah smart jocks exist not everyone talks like they're a bro you know like it's mm-hmm. it's just all these different things that not just as actors do we put on ourselves but also like consumers because it's what they've seen when they think of a jock they right. think letterman jacket you know mm-hmm. when they think of a gay character they think of someone that's um more on the uh, feminine side and things like that but I, I love that your show has um such a balance between all of yeah. that you know it's not to say neutral because that's not really what the, the word i, I want to use um i think i'll stick with balanced it's just a very well balanced sort of um group of characters and um yeah <laughs> thank you yeah no i appreciate that um yeah i mean that was something we we thought a lot about and also we wanted to uh you know go against expectations right so there were mm. also a lot of decisions uh behind the scenes right. uh you know for example many times in the industry you have straight actors playing gay roles mm. which there's a lot of different opinions on um but we were like okay um well we could also do the opposite right and so my co-star who plays uh max the straight roommate yeah. is played by J. armstrong johnson uh, who in real life is gay. And so that was something that was super cool for us is that we felt like, just like we were flipping the expectation on its head, you know, we're making a college show where the acapella dudes and the artsy kids are like the mean girls and the jocks are like the nerdy, cool people. Um, and so we also felt that it was cool that we could also do that behind the scenes, right? Cast gay actors as straight and, you know, kind of flip everything on its head. So it's, you know, just going back to what you mentioned about, um, you know, sort of flipping that on, um, flipping the script when it comes to what is normally a straight actor portraying a gay character um, with Jay. Um, I'm a fan of Jay's. I was a big fan of Quantico when it, when it's heyday and whatnot. Yes. You know? Um, and, you know, also total theater boy. So I know all about, um, you know, Jay and his sort of like generation of, of, of younger performers. And mm-hmm. um, it's funny. I was like, I, you know, if you follow these actors social media, like, oh, he's, that's cool. He's playing a straight character and like a jock type of character. What's usually mm-hmm. played by a straight guy. Um, yep. And it almost felt like, oh, they're like, it's like a Neil Patrick Harris, you know, like he is like sort of mm-hmm. famously known for playing the straight characters and like the womanizer and the ladies man when it's like, oh, he's married to, Absolutely. <laughs> to a man. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And I, I, I think it's really important because it's like, you know, as you said, there are many opinions on whether straight actors should be playing uh, queer characters. Um, but we don't often like Neil Patrick Harris and maybe like Jane Lynch are like the only examples I can think of, of like mainstream actors who are queer, who play straight uh, characters. And I think it's, it's really interesting because you're sort of adding. Well, no, the... Matt Bomer, right? He, oh, Matt right, Bomer, right, yeah. And he was the lead in White Collar. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're right. You're right. I totally forgot about White Collar. Oh, my God. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it does, it does happen. It does happen. Yeah. Uh, but it's by no means the norm. Right. Yeah. A lot of times, like you said, whether it's someone at the casting team, it's almost, I feel like it's rarely ever someone in the casting room, but more like the network executives or the studio heads who are like, no, they're too, you know, they're too effeminate. They're too whatever to play this character. So, you know, cause you know, as we hear all the time as actors, the casting directors are like the gatekeepers and, you know, they're sort of... I don't know. I mean, in my experience, casting directors are more like advocates for the actors. I mean, I think casting directors are the biggest allies that actors have, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of times, you know, casting directors will completely change the interpretation of a role. Mm. You know, so it's a very artistic process. I have a few good friends who are casting directors and Mm. I've learned so much from them. Um and have gotten so much respect for the art that they do. Uh, Also on the pilot, I worked with Kim Graham. Mm -hmm. She was our casting director and she was just phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, for actors, it's so good to have a glimpse at the other side because it's easy when you're an actor to feel like the world is against you or, you know, there's all these gatekeepers and people standing in your way. 
but it's really not the case. Mm. I mean, these people are just working tirelessly to get the right people in for the role. And they're really, they're advocating nonstop for actors. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really cool to see. Yeah, my my last guest um, is an actor um, based in LA, Philip Garcia, you know, has had multiple like recurring guest stars and has been in the audition room plenty. Uh, He was saying that he, you know, as like any young actor, at one point you view it as sort of that as like, oh, I have to like, you know, like the casting director is like an obstacle almost. They're like an obstacle Mm. between you and booking. And he said that as soon as he saw it instead as a collaboration and like, cause you know, we also hear a lot like casting directors want you to solve their problem. They want you to be the solution to the, to the casting notice. Um, And, you know, even still today, I hear so much from young actors, um, especially like the Reddit community. I'm very active on there and the acting subreddit. And a lot of people be like, you know, oh, I hate casting directors. And we're like, no, you need to be, you need to absolutely be in love with casting directors because they, they're really, you know, it's funny because we hear a lot, like they're not the, the decision makers. Like you said, they advocate, they push for us in the casting room just as much as our agents or managers pushed for us to get into the room in the first place um but you know they're not the ones that like unfortunately they're not always the ones that sign off on who books the part especially roles that are like the series regulars and like the more major roles um sure the showrunners will right exactly the creators right there's so many other hands in the pot that have to sign off before um sort of decisions are made but i definitely think that it's important for actors to to definitely view it uh in view the casting director's role as a collaboration because you know you want them on your side and they absolutely want to be on your side if you let them mm-hmm. <laughs> not everyone unfortunately lets them yeah absolutely it, listen it's an art form mm-hmm. and it's it's an art form that i've gotten a lot of respect for mm-hmm. um and absolutely I mean, it's a collaboration i think your friend who said that is absolutely right Autumn is officially upon us, and whether you live in New York City or Los Angeles, everyone deserves to experience those classic scents of autumn, and that's why I'm thrilled to be partnering once again with Redondo Road Candlemakers to announce their new line of autumn-inspired scents, which include apples and maple bourbon, baked apple pie, and the classic toasted pumpkin spice. Redondo Road candles are hand-poured right here in the U.S. and made from 100% natural soy wax and all renewable resources. Burning on my desk right now is their Amber Noir candle, which is a warm fusion of mandarin, jasmine, and amber with hints of sandalwood and musk that just whisks you away on a warm cabin getaway. Another favorite of mine is their cake candle, which smells like the sweetest, yummiest vanilla frosted cake you have ever smelled. Redondo Road candles start at just $15 for their 5.5 ounce jars and are shipped within the continental U.S. For more information, visit RedondoRoad.com. That's RedondoRoad.com. If you're like me and you listen to a lot of podcasts, you'd probably love listening to audiobooks, and the best place for that is Audible, the leading provider of audiobooks and spoken word entertainment. Titles range from popular literature, fiction and biographies, to health, wellness, and everything in between. For a free 30-day trial, visit audibletrial.com actors for a free audiobook. Once you become a member, you get one credit for an audiobook each month, as well as two free exclusive Audible originals. I highly recommend that all of my actors and artists listening check out the audiobook for The Actor's Life, A Survival Guide, written and narrated by Jenna Fisher, best known for playing Pam on The Office. Jenna gives an in-depth look on her career from fresh-faced Hollywood newcomer to struggling actor to the star of a hit network television show. She also has a ton of survival advice and guidance for actors tackling this crazy industry. You can check out Jenna's book and tons more by signing up for a free 30-day trial at audibletrial.com actors. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Um, so I just want to go back a little bit to you and how you got started. So you, I love your response. I blame my mom. She sent me to theater camp. <laughs> so how did all that start? How did you, you know, your mom sent you to theater camp, but how did you fall in love with Yeah, I I went to theater camp for the first time when I think I was 14 or 15. Mm. Um, And it was uh, a summer theater camp. And I just fell in love with it. And I just, nothing had ever made me feel quite so alive. Um, And what was cool about this program was not only did we perform and act, we also created our own original material, Mm. which was really, really fun. Um, And so when I fell in love with acting, I fell in love not just with performing, but with storytelling. Mm. Um, And I didn't know at the time or have any aspirations to be a writer. Um, But looking back on it, I was falling in love with the entire experience of storytelling, both performing and crafting it and creating it, inviting it behind the scenes, the rehearsal process, everything. Mm. And so um, I just knew that that's what I wanted to do. Um, So I applied to go to uh, school for theater. I went to Tufts University and Mm. I majored in drama and also uh, have a degree in political science. And um, at Tufts, I started taking some playwriting courses in addition to the acting curriculum. And I think I really started solidifying my love of creating my own work um, when I was at the National Theater Institute, which mm. is a semester abroad program that is not abroad, it's in Connecticut, but, <laughs> um, but it's like a semester away. Um, and it's a very intensive program where you know, we were in classes from like 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. and then rehearsal until like 1 or 2 a.m. every day for seven days a week for four months. Um, And one of the stuff we did there was also playwriting and they chose a certain number of plays out of the ones that had been written that semester and mine was one of the ones chosen to be performed. And it was a really vulnerable and gratifying experience. Mm. And so when I came back to Tufts for my senior year, um, my friend and I, we decided that we wanted to do something of our own, Mm. right? Not only audition for the school plays or for, you know, professional productions happening uh, around Boston, uh, but create our own stuff. And so, I wrote the pilot of My Gay Roommate, the web series. And, you know, we did that at a time when not a lot of people were doing web series. Mm. Um, Now it's very common, but at the time it was quite a novel thing to do, to put scripted content on YouTube. Mm. So we did that um, and it was just so much fun and people loved it. So we kept making more. Uh, And that was really kind of the stepping stone, you know, from performer you know during college I was already working professionally in Boston I did a Mm. few shows at various theater companies around the city Um, but my gay roommate really was the big stepping stone from seeing myself mostly as a performer to viewing myself as a creative artist Mm. and I think that's so important you know a, a lot of the guests that I've had in the past were just over 20 episodes into the show. Um, Congrats. And thank you. <laughs> um, and so many people have all, you know, went to school for theater or went to school for drama or went to a two-year intensive program at a studio solely determined to be actors. And then they end up like producing a pilot or producing a show or directing something or like writing, producing and directing and starring in their own short. Like it's, you know, they never imagined being able to, or ever really pursuing that sort of multi-hyphenate beyond for a lot of theater kids, like actor, singer, dancer, but it's all the 
in front of in front of the audience or in front of the camera and i think it's Mm -hmm. super important for everyone to sort of like even if you just like dip your toes into those different facets because like you said before you're getting like a different perspective on the whole process um yeah i mean look at the end of the day we're all storytellers right right? and we all play different parts within that process right the director is a storyteller the producer is a storyteller the casting director is a storyteller the actors are storytellers right we're all storytellers and we're all doing different parts now that doesn't mean that everyone needs to aspire to be, you know, multiple things, right? right? Not everyone's a writer, Mm. not everyone's an actor. Um, But I think it's more about finding what capabilities do you have that serve the story, right? And if you have capabilities that serve the story uh, as a performer, then that's great. That's the role for you. And if you have uh, knowledge of, a particular situation or feeling or story and the way that you serve the storytelling is through creating dialogue and writing story, mm. then you're the writer. And if you're, you have the skill that you know really how you want the story to look and be presented and interpreted, then maybe you're the director, mm. right? But for different projects, right? There are certain projects like Boyfriends that I am both the actor and the writer and the producer. But there's other projects where I only do one thing or the other right. because that is how I can best serve that particular story. Right. With with Boyfriends, it was very much sort of like your baby, the story you wanted to tell. Yeah. And um, it's funny because we, not often, but I've I've heard a few times that like, that you know when you hear someone say like um oh they wrote produced directed and starred in all these projects people tend to think sometimes like it's ego driven but it's like Mm. we don't think the same of like clint eastwood who directs his own films for the past like 30 40 years you know it's like and and there's plenty of performers who do that um you know like john krasinski Roast. Also, who cares? Who cares right. what people think? <laughs> if you don't like the show, don't watch it. Right, exactly. Um, but yeah, I just think it's incredibly commendable and also just very um, bold to take on to wear so many hats because, you know, when you're an actor, um, depending on the role, it could be very taxing. There's already a lot involved. You're already like, okay, lines, dialogue. Uh, and when you're the writer, it's like you're handing over your work and letting someone else sort of put a voice to it and whatnot. Um, Yeah. So, you know, for me, and I can only speak for myself as a creator, um, knowing what the whole thing is knowing when you are what, right? right? So um, when I was on set of Boyfriends, the script was done. Everything was cast. Uh, We had our director, Darren Stein, the director of Jawbreaker, and, and writer, he wrote it as well, uh, and gave us friend, phenomenal, phenomenal director and writer. And he was in charge of the set. Okay. And so when I was on set for Boyfriends, I was an actor like everyone else. Mm. I didn't overstep that role. I didn't, you know, start giving other people notes. It's right. super important to know what part you're playing when. Right. And at that point, in order for me to best serve the story, I needed to do my job as an actor. Mm -hmm. And I needed to let Darren be the director and do what needed to be done. And he did a phenomenal job. Then once it's over, I step into producer mode, right? (laughs) I'm reviewing the footage. You know, the the editor presents us with different takes. Darren and I sit, I was like, okay, I like that performance. I don't like that performance. And even when I'm in the editing room, I talk about myself as uh, the character. Like, oh, Nick didn't, you know, do Mm. something that Mm. I wanted him there, right? Because I'm dissociated from my performance. I'm not looking, I'm not looking as, ooh, which time did Noam do something that I liked because, you know, in my vanity, I like it. No, it's like now we have recorded footage, we have to craft a story out of it. Mm. And so then my role is completely different. And so I don't, I don't look at it the same way. Mm. And I think it's super important to know when you're doing what mm. and to separate those parts so that everyone can do their job. Gosh, I would find that so just knowing myself, just 
I'm really editing like my reel. I, it would be so, because you know, you have to think like what, which take serves the story? Who is this scene about? Because you know, some scenes mm-hmm. are more centered on a particular character, even those multiple people on screen. Um, and you know, it's, you do, oh God, I would find that so difficult having to <laughs> dissociate from the character and your performance and what you're oh, you have doing. To. Yeah. Oh gosh. Hats off to you. Goodness gracious. No, so I'd be like, oh, that take sucked. The acting was bad. Right. But it's like, but they were like, are you being mean to yourself? I'm like, no, I just, not at all. Like, you know, it's just, I'm just looking at the footage. I think that one was better. Let's, let's do that one. Let's get Mm. rid of that. Um, Yeah. You have to very much dissociate from your ego. Um, So you also mentioned another project, uh, the influencers. So what is your role in that? Yeah, so The Influencers is the second show coming from my production company mm. that I founded with uh, my partner, Mike Heslin. Um, the Influencers is a show that Mike wrote, mm. um, and it's about six social media influencers that each have their own, you know, like niche mm. of, of influencing. And um, they, they're vying for a brand deal for a millennial juice craze called Juicy Talks. Uh, and it's really really funny Mm -hmm. uh mike wrote it it's uh produced by us through our production company we that we filmed five episodes of that are yep they're in completely done and sealed uh and we're in talks with various uh distributors to see where it's going to premiere um but it's a really fun show that kind of tries to pop the bubble of you know, influencer culture and yeah. Instagram culture and, you know, all the myriad of opportunities it presents, but also some of the fakeness that is inherent yeah. in that world. Um, and what happens when you go beyond the filter, shall yeah. we say. So, yeah, it's really fun. Mike did a great job. Uh, writing it. Uh, So we produce it together. And then I am also in it. I play Cruz, who is a, um, he's like an entrepreneurial influencer, right? Mm -hmm. He's all about how to make your first million by the time you're 30, right? right? Like sort of (laughs) thing. And, you know, as we get to know him better, we see that things are not all as they seem um, (laughs) with him. But he's really fun. He's really quirky. Um, the thing that I really enjoyed about playing him is that he is so offbeat mm. that it's so freeing to play insane in some, <laughs> right? He's not, he, I, yeah. I don't mean to say, like, he's not insane, but, you know, a lot of times. A little times, off the rails. Right. A lot of yeah. times people second question their impulses, like, oh, no, nobody would do that. Or, you know, oh, that's not believable. But with a character like that, it's so freeing because, who knows what he would or would not do, right? So I, I was a total creature on set. I had so <laughs> much fun. Um, it, I adored it. I had so yeah. much fun. Um, so that should be coming out uh, relatively soon. And we hope to have an announcement with more details for folks soon. Amazing. Uh, with Boyfriends, do you sort of have like a show Bible of like where you want the story to go and like... Yeah, like yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah, and we have we have more episodes written and yeah, yeah, absolutely. How much do you have like written or at least sort of like outlined already? Like how much? Like you know, how most many, of it. It's but like how many seasons? Like do you envision this being like a limited series type of thing where it's like ten episodes? That's the story, or is it more like you know, bigger scale sort of like traditional network type of approach? No, it would it wouldn't be that. It, no, it would, it, it's for streaming. It's gotcha. meant for streaming. So we're talking, you know, 10 to 12 episode seasons. Okay, gotcha. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We love this. The It's so funny how much the landscape has changed. And, you know, it used to be like 23 to 25 episodes per season. And then it's just gotten shorter and shorter. And with streaming, people binging, they're like, nope, we need like eight hours of content. And that's it. And it's it's just so interesting seeing how much it's changed. Uh, only within and the it's past also like, 10 really- years. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And it's also really freeing as creators, right? Because there's more formats for storytelling. Mm -hmm. You know, even a show like Unorthodox on Netflix, Mm. which was a huge hit and a fantastic Mm. show, it only has four episodes. 
right? Yeah. So I feel like we live in a, in a time where it's really exciting because you can really choose the format that is best to tell the story that you want to tell. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to say, oh, I have this story I want to tell, but I have to fit it into a certain predetermined format, right? Mm-hmm. Everything's a lot more open now. So yeah, again, and, it's what yeah. serves the story. Right. And it's interesting to see um, with, you know, with platforms like Netflix, different shows have different links. Some are the 13, some are those four to six. And you're just, you feel like you're just watching like a really intense, long, but like well-structured movie. Because with film, it's like, you have to have a beginning, middle and end in 90 minutes to two hours. But with these like limited series, it's like, nope, we can expand and let like the mm-hmm. story and the characters marinate and all that stuff. Absolutely. And by the way, not just, there's not only variation in terms of number of episodes, but also in lengths of episodes, mm-hmm. right? It used to be that you could only do like 22 minutes for commercial breaks for a half hour slot. Or if you were on premium cable, you could, you know, you had to do like 30 minute episodes yeah. to fill that, or you had to do, you know, the hour longs. Mm-hmm. But now you have fantastic shows on Netflix um, that are also short form, that mm-hmm. are 12 to 13 minutes an episode, yeah. right? And then you have something like Unorthodox where you could see it as four episodes that some of them are like an hour, some are an hour and a half, like, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, it's so great because again, you get to do whatever serves the story. So one of the things that you listed was people actually want to help you um, mm-hmm. when it comes to like a big misconception in the industry. Um, mm-hmm. So can you talk about that a bit? Because, um, I mean, when I read that, it totally hit, it, you know, hit. I mean, I guess what I have discovered is that when you're doing something that is bigger than yourself, right? If you're mm-hmm. serving a story, a story is something that is incredibly specific yet universal, right? It's something that you're, it's a gift that you're making for your audience. And if you're truly in service of your vision, then people want to help you realize it. Because we all got into this for the same reason, right? We all got into this, whether we're directors, casting directors, writers, actors, agents, managers, it doesn't matter. We all got into this because of our love of storytelling and our belief that stories can change the world and can change the human experience. And so if you're truly in service of story and in service of a vision, a mission, you know, and, and that could be anything. It could be as simple as I just want to make people laugh. People need that in their lives. Or it could be big, like I need to tell a story that has never been told about something or someone, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't matter if it's a comedy, a drama, a documentary. If you're in service of a story and in service of a mission for storytelling, then people want to help you realize it. Mm-hmm you find the people who are as passionate about what you're trying to do as you are. Yeah. And if your story is truly universal and is truly um, moving, then it will move other people within our industry to work with you, mm-hmm. to try and make it. Now that doesn't mean that everything good gets made. No, there's tons of really good stuff that, never gets made because it's really difficult. It's not easy. And there's plenty of not great stuff that for some reason does get made, right? And I don't know why that is, right? Probably because someone else thought that it was really good, right? It's all a matter of taste. Mm. So you have to find the people who share your taste and share your passion and are in service of that same thing that you are. And once you find that, they want to help you. They're Mm. not against you they all want to do their job, right? All of our jobs are in service of story. Mm. And so casting will want to do that in service of story. And directors will want to do that in service of the story that they want to tell. And same goes for producers and networks and everyone. So I think that that is really the key is to not look at other people as gatekeepers or blocks in your way to, you know, based on Mm. their job title. No, we all got into this for the same reason. Find the people who are serving the same mission that you are. And Mm. they'll want to help you do that. Mm. Gosh, that, 
<laughs> seriously, that Retweet. Was, seriously, like, gosh, I don't even know how to follow up on that. But, but it's the truth, yeah. right? You're not going to be everyone's taste. Not everyone is going to love what you're doing. Right. You're not, and those people are not going to hop on your train. That's mm. fine. Find the people who got into this for the same reasons that you did mm. and want to be on your train and they will do nothing but help you. And the people who don't jump on the train, they're just helping a different train. They're not right. against your train. They just found a different vehicle for their mm -hmm. passion of storytelling and they're going with that one. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. That's no reflection on you. You know, and you think, cause you know, this, the industry can make us so jaded or bitter or like cynical sometimes. It's so easy to get lost. No, I and, hate that. Uh, I I despise it. It's, no. it's, because like I, you said, I have no patience. I have no patience for that. I, <laughs> I, no, I, I never want to be jaded. And the day mm. that I get jaded is the day I'll start doing something else. Right. Yeah. yeah. We do what... this because we love it because yeah. it gives us a sense of wonder. And if you don't like it, nobody's forcing you go do right. something else, go do something mm. else that brings you that sense of wonder and excitement mm -hmm. and just joyfulness. Um, for me, it's storytelling. Mm. And it's very, and the many different ways that I do that, whether it's as a creator, a writer, an actor, a producer, mm -hmm. through all those roles, I get to tell story. And that's what I love to do. The second that I don't love doing it, I won't do it anymore. Yeah. But I don't want to be bitter about it. Oh, right. that's the worst. Yeah. Who wants to do that? There's so many easier things to do. Yeah. You know, if, if you're going to do this, it better make you happy. Yeah. And, you know, we hear all the time, um, you know, you're going to go through a hundred no's before you get that. Yes. Could you imagine being bitter 99 of those times? And just like it, it, it ruins, like you said, the wonder and the joy that, it, that those little victories can bring you. Yes. When you get all of those no's, it can be very difficult, but you know, like it's like holding a grudge. It's senseless. And you know, there, you know, I don't remember the no's. It's, it's interesting. Right, right. It, it really depends what you choose to focus on. Yeah. It's what you choose to focus on. Every audition, every opportunity you get to perform is just that. It's an opportunity to perform and enjoy and share your version of telling that story. Mm. And if it moves forward, then that's great. And if it doesn't, then you got to tell a little story to a little audience and on to the next one. Yeah. On to the next. That's, I always love viewing it, uh, especially with auditioning, especially when, uh, you know, the days when it was um, in person, you know, when I leave the building or the casting office, I take my sides, I crumple them up and I throw them out. And it's like, okay, let's, we, hmm. uh, you know, we hear. Uh, you mean actress... you're not off book? No, I'm, just <laughs> <laughs> I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. Um, you know, we hear as actors that um, auditioning is the job. And the, mm. and the booking or the gig is like the vacation. And it's like, yeah, you did your job. You, you did your job and you, you know, you auditioned. That was what you're supposed to do. Now let the decision makers make their choices. And that's, it's out of your control. The only thing that was in your control was your audition and your performance. And that's all you can control. So why dwell on the things that you can't control? You know? Yeah. I mean, I generally agree with that. My only amendment would be is not that auditioning is your job. It's that storytelling is your job. Right. Yeah. That, that's because then, you know, if you think of it that way, then it, you become very controlling around your auditions and you're like, mm. oh, the reader didn't give me the cue how I wanted it. And then, mm. you know, you start getting obsessed about all sorts of other things like random background noises that don't really <laughs> matter. Um, you know, note to your friend. But um, listen, everyone has their own way of looking at things. Mm. And I'm not saying that my version is right and others are wrong. Um, but to me, it's always incredibly helpful to remember that no matter what I'm doing, if it's in service of story, then I've won. Mm. And if it's not, then it's in service of ego, right? It's in service of wanting affirmation. It's in service of vanity. It's in service of other things. Um, and that generally does not make me happy, mm. but when it's a, in service of story, you never go wrong. 
All right. So uh, unfortunately, we're coming to the end of, um, of our time, but I always like to end uh, interviews with a quick rapid fire uh, round. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to put no pressure. We're going to put 90 seconds on the clock and to see as many as you can get. Uh, oh done. my God. Some, it's okay. all right. No, it's all right. It's all right. Don't, don't think about it. <laughs> Some of them are like this or that. So those are like the. Oh, okay. I love that. Okay. That's great. So we're going to start in three, two, one. Coffee or tea? Tea. Theater or screen acting? Screen. TV or film? TV. Drama or comedy? Comedy. Plays or musicals? Ooh, uh, I can't decide, I can't decide, I can't decide. Uh, uh, musical okay. plays. There you go. <laughs> plays with music. Uh, hero or villain? Hero. Your most recent uh, binge watch? Selling Sunset. Where is that? On Netflix. Oh, oh my God, okay. it's amazing. I'm super behind wow. uh, on everything. All right, uh, worst side job that you've had? Ooh, uh, I, I worked at a yogurt shop right out of college, like, like an ice cream shop, just mm-hmm. like scooping up ice cream and making froyo. It was, it was pretty froyo. miserable. Except I kept, I was in the back. I was like chopping up, you know, the little toppings, like oh, the, okay. the kiwis and the strawberries. Yeah. yeah that, that was my gig. <laughs> Ooh, that was rough. Uh, if you got to be in the revival of any show, which would it be? Ooh, um, God. Oh, that's hard. Um, I did a, a chorus line uh, in Boston, but I would love to do it again. I'm not the world's most amazing dancer, um, but that show is just such a feat. It's mm-hmm. amazing. I would love to do that show again. Uh, what role did you have the most fun playing? Um, I would say Nick in Boyfriends and Cruise in The Influencers. Okay, and uh, what is the most helpful book that you've ever read? The War of Art. Ooh, okay. And uh, final question, because we hit 90 seconds. Uh, in 10 words or less, what advice would you give to a young actor? Oh, boy. <laughs> that doesn't count. Um, <laughs> I would say, okay, I would say, know what stories you have the greatest capacity to tell and do those stories. <laughs> those were the 10 words, right? When you said, and tell those stories and do those stories, those were the extra, but the whole, the first like phrase was, was. Okay, was great. <laughs> All right, so let's go with that. We, we can chop it down to just, um, but it comes back to my, right. If you're in service of story, you're winning. Yeah. So that would be my advice to a young actor is know what the stories are that you want to tell. Yeah. And are most and are best equipped to tell and tell those stories. And that's it for this week's episode of Actors with Issues with special guest Noam Ash, who you can follow on Instagram at Mr. Noam Ash and follow us at Actors with Issues. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and review wherever you are listening and catch new episodes every Friday on all podcasting platforms. This is Juan Ayala signing off.